that would allow us to come into his presence to enjoy him. To come into his presence and to sing to him. If there's anybody worthy of our songs, it's the Lord. For truly he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen. Truly, he is a gracious God. Truly, you deserve to be worshipped. You deserve to be magnified. You deserve to be exalted. For there is none like you. And we come to worship you in this place. Would you join me in lifting up your hands? Amen. Father, as we stand before you this morning with our hands lifted high, Father, let this be the position of our hearts, position of surrender, a position of emptiness, a position that calls us, Lord, to depend and to rest in you. And Father, even as our Arms are lifted, Father God. Some of us, we lift them with great burdens. As this week has beat some of us up, Father, as this week has discouraged some of us, as some of us have just barely made it into the sanctuary. And even as we song by faith, Father God, our our heart was filled with doubt, Father. Maybe that doubt was a An issue, Father God, of a burden with finances. Maybe that doubt was an overwhelming presence of the reality of our sin. Maybe that doubt, Lord, was a picture of our past as Satan was accusing us and and trying to get us to turn our back on you, Father God. But we, we rejoice in the fact that we made it this morning. And we lift our hands, Father God, and we turn over our our burdens to you. We cast our cares on you knowing that you cared for us and we thank you for allowing us to be here. Now speak, Lord. Speak to our hearts like only you can. Guide my tongue, Father God, to get into the nooks and crevices of your people's hearts so that we, Father God, can can love you so that we can know what the forgiveness of sins and joy feels like so that we, Father God, can serve you with all of our heart, all our mind, and all of our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord and to ask the Lord to to allow our hearts to be filled with worship towards him. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. What a, a great joy, again, uh, to, to be able to come and to uh, talk about the Lord. I don't take this moment lightly, amen, uh, to be able, number one, to stand and to uh, just proclaim what the Lord has put upon my heart and personal study and, and uh, what his word says. We are continuing our stewardship series today. Uh, we're going to deal with, with part two. Uh, Kirk Norrie says that, Stewardship is uh, basically uh, 
us as Christians making the most of all that we have and all that we are. And that's what we want to talk about is, is what does it mean, what does it look like to make the most of who God has made us and what God has given to us. And we want to make the most of our treasure. We want to make the, the most of our talent. We want to make the most of our time because we serve a gracious God who has given us his very best. Randy Alcorn, as we said last week, we kind of uh, took a quote and tweeted his co- uh, uh, tweaked his quote a little bit. But the quote is this, money is not a, a toy to play with, nor is it a ticket to fulfill our dreams. Nor is it a ticket to fill our dreams, but it is a tool to build up the kingdom of God and impact eternity. A lot of times when we talk about discipleship, and we talk about the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 19. This is Jesus parting words to his disciples so before he leaves. He tells them to, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And a lot of times in the church, when we, when we hear those words, we seem to, to focus on making disciples and, and teaching people how to live the Christian life. But, but part of the Christian life is stewardship. Part of the Christian life is knowing what God expects from us in terms of the area of our possessions. And I would argue that a person who gets every other area of the Christian life right, a person who can pray, a person who gets reading scripture right, a a person who has disciplined themselves in, in other areas, but who is negligent and who ignores what God says about our money is an immature Christian. Because the Bible constantly shows us that what we do with our possessions says a lot about what we believe about the mission of God. So as we talk and continue to talk about stewardship and as we focus on our treasure and our possessions and and what God has given us, let us not look down upon this subject as something to just kind of make it through. Let us see that this is a heart issue that really deals with us in every part of our Christian life. And being able to learn about Christian stewardship is a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. So as we continue to talk about these things, we want to remember that money is not a a toy to play with, nor is it a ticket to fulfill our dreams, but it is a tool to impact eternity and to build up God's kingdom. And last week we looked at some powerful principles of stewardship and we learned things like God entrusts us as his managers and, and not as owners. In other words, we we learn that everything that we have received that is good is a gift from above. And the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. Everything that is in our possession from uh, the way that we uh, get from our jobs or uh, where we live and our children, it's a gift from God and we are his asset managers, we are not owners. And since we are managers... We need to take care of his possessions. We also learn that God, good stewardship, really hinges on prudent planning. It's impossible to be a good steward without taking time to plan. 
taking time to take inventory. And I would argue that for a lot of us, this is where the, the breakdown is because life is so fast and we've got so many things on our plate. So sometimes we just kind of go from week to week and we just, we're hustling and bustling. But I just want to encourage you to take time to plan. We also learn other principles like God will one day hold us accountable for what we do with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And one day, even as Christians, we're going to stand before the beam of seat of Christ. We're going to stand before his judgment seat, and we're going to have to give account for how we spent those things. And it's not an issue of heaven or hell, but it is an issue of rewards in, in heaven and how we will spend the next trillion of years. Amen? So as we continue today, we want to deal with our next subject, and I simply want to ask, uh, answer a question that is important for us as Christians to answer. In order to answer that question, we're going to come from Malachi, go to, go to Malachi chapter 3, and look at verses 6 through 12. So if you can stand to your feet with your Bible in your hand, Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 6 through 12. As you all know, today is Super Bowl Sunday. All right. That's some soft claps, right? That means... That means not, neither of the teams represent Louisville, right? <laughs> All right. And as we uh, get ready for this Super Bowl, we know that there's kind of a cloud hanging over the Super Bowl because there's a scandal. And the scandal is being called Deflategate. All right. And anyone who's human and who has any access to anything, whether it's a newspaper or television, has probably heard about this Deflategate. All right, the New England Patriots versus the Indiana Colts uh, took uh, their, the footballs that they are entrusted to steward over. Uh, each team is given 12, are supposed to take 12 footballs, and, and that's the ball that they are going to play with uh, doing, uh, while they're on offense. Well, uh, this, the New England Patriots took their footballs, and rather than have uh, the air in it in what is called regulation, uh, they kind of deflated the ball a little bit so that it would be easy to hold on to because weather conditions were so bad, okay? So they took air out of the ball, which means that now the ball was more uh, uh, easier to receive and to hold on to. And then they played like they, they didn't know how it happened, right? 11 out of the 12 balls were, were, were uh, air was taken out and, and they were interviewing players and, and uh, coaches and everybody's like, you know, I have no idea how this happened. You might want to check with this person, right? <laughs> but there's a scandal kind of just floating over the game. And for those who are neutral towards the game, I'm sure many people are now rooting for the Seattle Seahawks because they're not Chiefs. <laughs> it's kind of this attitude. I was neutral. It was like, uh, I, don't, I don't want to root for the Colts. Why? For the Patriots? Why? Because we don't, typically we don't like cheaters. We don't like people who, who steal. What's well, the same way with the Lord? We see in Malachi chapter 3, there's a bit of a scandal going on. God's people had come back into their land. Malachi is a contemporary of Nez, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. And God's people have been restored back to their land, but now they are cheating God of covenant fidelity. They are no longer being faithful to the covenant, to the rules and regulations that he set for them way back when he brought them out of Egypt, when they were on the Mount of Sinai. 
And let's read what the word of God has to say and, and how he responds to them. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Hmm. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Some translations say cheating me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. So the big question that we want to ask ourselves today, for those who are Christians, that means those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and as a result of his grace, as a result of this free gift, are, are no longer living life for your own advantage, but now you're living life for the advantage of Christ. For those who are Christians, there is a question that we must answer if we are going to be faithful stewards when it comes down to God's money and God's possession and what he's entrusted. And that question is, are we required to tithe? Are we required to tithe? And this is going to be an important principle for us uh, to, to, to grasp our mind around, an important teaching for us to understand if we're going to be faithful to the Lord. Because in this text, we see that God condemns the Jews, condemns his children. He says, you are cursed with the curse. Even though they're back in the land, they are cursed with the curse. Their, their crops are not growing, right? They're, the things in their possessions are not flourishing. And he said, it's because you are robbing me of tithes and offering. So the question is, are we as Christians required to give? And, and some people say uh, to tithe. And some Christians say yes. Uh, tithing is clearly taught in the Old Testament, therefore we must uh, tithe. And others say, well, no. And the reason why we don't tithe now, we're not required to tithe now, is because that was given to the Jews and that was according to the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. He perfectly kept the law so that a new covenant would be made. And under that new covenant, tithing um, is not a part of it. So as a church, we need to answer this question. Does God expect you to tithe? If he does and you're not, then it seems that the implication is that you're cursed. That you're cursed. But if he doesn't require us to tithe, then what does giving look like as a Christian? And what does it look like to please the heart of our Father? Because of the grace that we've received through Jesus. Now, as we talk about money, I know it's a tight situation. I know it's hard. But I promise I'm not going to beat you up because in beating you up, I have to beat myself up. We're going to go on a journey. We're going to learn what the Bible says together. So just relax and smile a little bit. Amen. 
Relax and smile a little bit. All right. So let's dive in. You guys ready to see what the word has to say? All right. So the first question we want to ask is what is tithing? The word tithe means a tenth in part. The word tithe means a, a tenth part. And we know that, as I said in this passage, God warned the Israelites that to present anything less than a full 10% was to rob him. And I think that's important to know that the word tithing in itself means a tenth part. That's one-tenth of a part. Because for Christians who are convicted and feel called to tithe, sometimes I would hear things like, well, I tithe, I tithe 5%, or I tithe 4%, or I tithe 7%. You can't tithe. Five, six, or seven percent. To tithe means to give a tenth part. Now you are giving that percent, but to tithe means to at least give a tenth part. Okay? So you're donating, you're being generous in that way, but you're not tithing. Okay? And that's important to know. A God, according to God's standard, He wants a full tithe. That means a full ten percent. And as we think about this subject, we want to know where the, the notion of tithing comes from. The first example of tithing is found in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. We see Abraham gave Melchizedek a, a tenth of everything he had. That's the first example. The second example is in Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 through 22, when Jacob makes a, a vow to God and he says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So we see two patriarchs of uh, the Jewish heritage, both given a tenth percent. And this is before the Lord actually requires it or before the tithe is taught. The first teaching of tithing comes in Leviticus chapter 27 through 30. I believe we have this on the screen. Leviticus chapter 27 through 30 says, a tithe of everything. From the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. A tithe of everything, that means everything that the people of God would receive from their land, as this was definitely an agrarian culture in society. The grain, fruit, the Lord says, it belongs to me. And therefore, a tithe, 10% of whatever was received, would come back to him. According to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 through 23, tithing uh, was supposed to be a teaching tool. It was to teach Israel to fear God. Look, you find that in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. So as they were tithing, as they were giving to the Lord, it was a way for them to, to show that they are living in awe or deep reverence of God. It was a way of saying, God, you own everything. You have graciously given me the fruit of this land. And I, out of reverence and respect 
And knowing that you have given this to me, I give this back to you so that your kingdom would flourish. So to tithe means to set the first 10% of everything you own. And I want to stress, we can go to more verses, but I want to stress that it's, he stresses throughout Scripture everything you own. So for those who are convinced that tithing is a Christian law and something that we are supposed to do and have to do, again, that's, that's 10% of everything you own. And, and I would argue, if we're keeping with that Old Testament example, that that's from your gross and not your net. Right? That's before taxes. Say, why? I don't see that money. Uncle Sam sees that money. But we benefit from taxes, amen? We benefit from it. So here's just some, some other thoughts about giving in the Old Testament and tithing in the Old Testament in order that we can see the heart of God. Why would God, who created us and who loves us and who wants to be in relationship with us, why would he make us suffer so much to give part of what we have back to him? What's the heart behind that? What's going on, right? And why is there so much emphasis of this in of the law in the Old Testament? Well, one thing we want to understand is that when it came to giving in the Old Testament, God really was concerned about the first fruits, okay? So there's a, a principle in the Old Testament where God says, give me your first fruits. That means the first of what you receive. Before you are to take it and to enjoy it yourself, you give it back to me. And if you want to read more about this, you can look at Deuteronomy chapter 26, Exodus chapter 22, verse 29 through 30, Numbers chapter 18, verse 12. All of this emphasized the first fruits, whatever you get first, give it back to the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, we read, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So under the old covenant, God promised that if you give me your first fruit, if you're faithful in tithing, and he's given this to all of Israel. So it wasn't like this, just this little personal promise. It was a promise to Israel. If you all keep my law, that I will bless you all. I will keep drought away from you and, and, and give you wisdom when times of drought come so that you will be able to have plenty. All right. Another thing we want to understand about tithing and giving in the Old Testament is God implemented and used the tithe to provide for the Levites, the priests, and the landless poor. Okay? So the tithe, this tenth and part, it went back to the Lord, and the Lord used this to provide for the Levites. And for the priests, let's deal with that. The Levites were a tribe of Israel that were specifically set apart for God to minister to God and to God's people. And so were the priests. Now, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Priests were responsible for taking the offerings of the people, for pretty much mediating the presence of the Lord, um, and, and for ministering to God's people, Okay. So the tithe, the tenth part, went to those who were called to be in full-time ministry. It went to, to minister. But he also, as we read through the Old Testament, we see a great emphasis on the tithe being used to give to the poor. To give to the poor. To give to the poor. As a result of the fall, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, we know that this world is broken and that this world is devastated. And we know that there are 
issues in this world that is just hard to solve. We know that there's a systemic oppression. We know that there's personal sin. We know that there's all types of issues. And and as a result, uh, someone has to be called to minister to these people and to these issues and to show the heart of God. And that's what God's people were to do. God's people were to step in and to love the landless poor, to love those who were genuinely making an effort, genuinely making an effort to live and to make positive contributions, but who were in such a situation that they couldn't. And this tithe was used to minister to them. So what does this teach us about God? I think this teaches us about his heart. I think it teaches us about his mission. It teaches us that God cares about the broken, and he cares about ministry. And that God has set a people aside to lead the way in the world, to help bring peace to people who are broken. And the only way that that mission works is through through money, it's it's through gifts. So God emphasizes this with his people so much that he makes it a part of their covenant and he says, if you don't faithfully give to me, I will not bless you for you to have. So stop thinking about this as just my money and, 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 and even as we talk about this, it's, it's just money, money, money. It isn't about just money. The, the, the means of the end isn't money. The means of the end is ministry. The end means is ministry. It's bringing people who are alienated from God to God. And a lot of times people don't want to hear about God from our lips if we are not concerned about their current state. So we see this as a, as a principle. We also, as we just, this is just an overview of tithing in the Old Testament, we also see that for God's people, tithing 10%, it was actually the starting point of giving and not the end. It was the starting point of giving and not the end. It's a quote from Randy Alcorn. And uh, through uh, my speaking throughout this whole series, uh, you can hear his voice and his ghost because he is who I've learned foremost from when it comes to giving. Amen? It's a book called Managing Managing Money God's Way that uh, is an incredible gift. Incredible, incredible book, but listen to this quote that he, he says. To understand this issue, we should better understand the Old Testament practice of tithing. The Israelites actually gave three different tithes, but one of those was given every third year so that cumulatively the three tithings mounted to 23% of their income. So the average Israelite gave about 23% of time. And that's not counting other contributions. That's from his book, Managing God's Money. Also, we want to know that God had tithing as a law for those who were wealthy and those who were poor. We talk about giving. Giving was to be for both those who had and those who did not have. Because a lot of times when we hear about giving, we think, oh, that's for people who have more than enough, right? But it's for everybody. 
Now, even as we look at the law and we look at the sacrificial system, those who were poor, they, they may have given different sacrifices, maybe a dove rather than a lamb, but they were expected to give and they were expected to contribute to God's mission. To God's mission. Let's look at this passage real quick. Just want to give a, a quick overview of this passage and then we're going to answer this question directly. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I want us to just glance over it and, and really see the emphasis here on those who are under the law that to not give a full tithe, they were seen to be cheating God or robbing God. See that in verse 8. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. The whole nation of you. That's why this, this question is important. I don't want to rob anybody, but I definitely don't want to rob God. Amen? Verse 9, we see that tithing was big to God and was a part of his heart. And that he, he, he said, listen, if you all don't give, you will be cursed with a curse. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Cursed with a curse. So those who didn't give, they were cursed. Verse 10, again, as I emphasized, there was a full tithe that was given. There was a full tithe that was given. But we also see that those who do give, God gives a promise. He goes on and says, and thereby, verse 10, middle of verse 10, Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed. So those who were given, as Israel was given, God promises that he would bless their crops, he would keep it from pestilence, that's who the devourer is. But look at what he says. He says, all the nations will call you blessed. So here it is. They're giving God a tenth of what they have, but they have more given back to them. They have an abundance given back to them so much that every other nation around them is taking notice. And they're saying, look how blessed they are. And for back in those days, especially uh, uh, for those in a polytheistic who had a polytheistic worldview, believing that there was many gods, they would have been looking at the blessings of Israel and they would have been asking or, or thinking, not, not just look at how dope they are and how fresh they look and how good they're crowded, but they would have been asking, what God are they worshiping so that we can worship him too? Because their God is taking care of them. Because their God is supreme. Their God is great. And really, it would have been missional because as they asked the Jews that, this monotheistic Jew who was worshiping one God would have pointed back to Yahweh. And he would have told them a story of how he delivered them out of Egypt and how they were slaves and they had no hope and they were really dead. But how a lamb was killed in that place and a death angel came and, and blood was used to, to restore them as a people. And that person prayerfully say, I want to be a part of Israel. I want to be a Jew as well. There's a missional aspect. God was blessing them so that he could bless others with the gift of knowing him. The gift of knowing them. So here's the big question. You're like, Pastor, we've been here 20 minutes and you still hadn't answered this question. 
is tithing for today? Now hear, hear what I'm going to say. I'm going to give away the whole answer and then we'll come back and look at it. You ready? The implications of this is great. God requires you to tithe and you're not tithing means that you are under a curse. I'm under a curse. No. Tithing as a law is not required. The New Testament encourages us as those who have graciously received all things from the Father through the Son to to give more radically than a tithe. You heard that? No. You're like, Hallelujah. Let my worship flow to you, Lord. <laughs> heard that radical part. You was like, all right, brother, you need to explain this some more. Amen. <laughs> Tithing is, is not a requirement under the law. But as we look at the New Testament and what it has to say about our possessions, it actually calls us to give, to have a heart that that wants to give more than than a tenth. Because all that we have, we recognize it belongs to him. We recognize that we're headed to hell. God was gracious and he saved our soul. And as we meditate on those truths, we're filled with joy, filled with love for his mission. Tithing is not to be kept as a law today. Word of God teaches us that when Jesus came to the earth, he fulfilled the covenant and instituted a new covenant in which we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. Let's look real quickly at what the New Testament teaches about tithing. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Through example, we see Paul teaching that as New Testament Christians, we should give recurrently and regularly. And consistently, Paul tells the church at Corinth, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there may be no collecting when I come. So Paul's a missionary. He's telling the church at Corinth, when I come, uh, make sure that there is, is monies available. These monies were going uh, back uh, many times to Jerusalem or other places to help those who were suffering and who were in need. And he says that a collection should be taken the first day of other week. When they come together to worship, a collection should be taken. So giving is to be done recurrently. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7 says, Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 teaches us that we should should sow bountifully, that we shouldn't be stingy with our giving to the Lord. But we also should give as we have decided in our heart, not under compulsion. God is saying, listen, as one who has been redeemed by Jesus as one who has received the forgiveness of sins, 
as one who has received hope after being hopeless and who have been made alive together in Christ and who have now have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we should give with a heart of joy. We should give with a heart full of appreciation and not under compulsion. That should be our heart. Not because the pastor preached a sermon on giving, but essentially because we know that if God was stingy, we would not be where we are. Facts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we read these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That as a result of God's grace, the the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, who had all things, who was in heaven, experiencing all comfort, that he intentionally became poor. So that he, we who were spiritually destitute, spiritually poor, could become spiritually rich. And we become spiritually rich because he suffered poverty on the cross. Because he emptied himself of his right as God to be comfortable. He stripped himself of that right. He became a human being. He limited himself to skin, he limited himself to diarrhea, he limited himself to being held by his mother, he limited himself to being spat on, he limited himself to being whipped, he limited himself to being stripped naked, he limited himself to suffering for six hours so that you might have life and that you might be spiritually rich. Not, not physically rich, but spiritually rich. So that, And spiritual richness is way better than physical richness. Because when the stock market clashes, when the boss gives you a pink slip, when the business caves, you still got joy. You still got peace. You may feel as if you're downtrodden, but the Bible says you are not destroyed. You have something that the world did not give you and the world cannot take away. And that's peace with God. And now you can... Speak differently about money. You know, I don't, I don't have it right now. But I know God will make a way. This is often called grace giving. Grace giving. Grace giving is that we as Christians, we give. Back to the Lord because we have received his grace. Now, we don't give to pay back for his grace. Grace is free, and we could never, we could never pay back God for what he has given to us freely. But we allow his grace to motivate us and not the law. And not the law. Let's look at two examples of grace given real quick from Acts chapter 2. When we... When we see God's goodness and we see what he has done for us and we allow it to become more than a Sunday morning truth. 
when we allow this good news and what Jesus has done for us to completely captivate us, it changes every aspect of our life. As one theologian says, every inch of our existence now is claimed by God. And we hear him saying, all is mine. Acts chapter 2, looking at this, verse 44. Many had just come to know Jesus through the preaching of God's grace and the resurrection. And, and Luke records, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. When the people of God catch on to this vision of grace, we become selfless. And we begin to live radically different from the world because we know that this is not our home. We're just passing through. The Bible says they had all things in common and they put what they had together in order to distribute their proceeds, to distribute what they had to the poor. Acts chapter 4. It's with the grace of God when we meditate on it and we let it become a part of us. This is how it changes us. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. They're preaching. They're saying Jesus got up from the dead. And the Lord blessed their preaching. 34. There was not a needy person among them. Why? For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So a mighty work is going on. Grace of God is causing people who own stuff to say, here. They're throwing it at the apostles' feet. And because the apostles are genuinely walking with the Lord, they are not being negligent with the money. They are distributing it to people who are in need. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. I was a rich man reading in Randy, one of Randy Alcorn's books. It's an illustration, exactly where it is. It's slipped me, but he was retiring and he was a Christian. And he said, Now it's time for me to go and, and to, to buy this uh, property that I wanted so we could have a vacation house and just enjoy it get away when we want to, and live the life that we always wanted. And he heard about missionaries who were in a particular part of the world, and they were suffering for the gospel, and they didn't have sufficient needs. And one morning, as he was spending time with the Lord, he said, the Lord crushed them. And he said, don't go and, and buy that property. Give what you were going to spend so that it can be distributed. To this mission field. That's grace giving. That's recognizing 
Just recognizing that God has put us and saved us, put us on this earth, not so that we can experience maximum pleasure, but so that we can maximize what he gave us for his mission. And in this consumeristic world, even hearing that seems unrealistic. I'm not saying it's sinful to have a vacation home. I'm not saying it's sinful to have multiple properties or a nice house or a nice car. But I am saying it is sinful to squander what God has given us as Christians and to not give generously to God's mission. And each person, as we dive deeper into the stewardship series, I think we'll have a a clearer picture of what that looks like and what it does not look like. But God has not called us to build bigger barns. So Jesus teaches in the book of Luke in a parable about the man who had built bigger barns. That's what he wanted. He had a big barn full, and then he said, I'm just going to build a bigger barn. That man ended up dying that night, and Jesus called him a fool. Those who have been recipients of grace and who know what it's like to be spiritually poor, our concern should be for those who are now spiritually poor. And that concern should lead us to help those who are disadvantaged and who are poor and should be to use those money to pour it into the church so that we can reach people who don't know Jesus. It's tight, but it's right. Nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. If you woke, say, I'm woke. Nudge him again and say, I'm talking about spiritually. Wake up. Amen. So though tithing is not a law, I do want to encourage you that it's a good place to start. If you're at a place you say, I don't know where to start in giving, I would say don't give under compulsion. Don't give because out of reluctancy. But man, meditate on God's grace. Take some time in the mornings. Take some time at night when you get off and just meditate on God's goodness by pouring yourself into his word. Be reminded, we need to be reminded daily of God's goodness. If nothing's stirring up in your heart, it's probably because you're not spending time with Jesus. It's probably because you're not taking time to pray. It's probably because you're not taking time to to learn his word. It's probably because you you, you don't know how how gracious he is and you're you're not horrified of hell. You're not horrified of a state of apathy. But when we take time to, to grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it should motivate us to view things differently. So I would encourage you here to to start by tithing. You say, well, I only have a little. Right? Ten cent out of a dollar is what the Lord in the Old Testament required. It may be a good place for you to start by faith. Some people say that they can't tithe because they're in debt. Say, I want to tithe, but I've got so much debt. There's no way that I can tithe. 
And uh, I know how that feels and how that looks. And I just want to encourage you to change your mindset about giving. Give God the first fruits of what you make. Talk to, if you're married to your spouse, if you're not, talk to a mature Christian. Lay out uh, where you're at and what you have. And see giving to God as your first responsibility. It's your first debt. Not a, a legalistic debt, but all to him I owe. Right? This is me giving to him because he's given me all and I trust him with it. We talked last week about what it means to, to be faithful with a little. Be faithful with the little and give back to the Lord. Jesus commended a, 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 witch, a, a poor widow, excuse me, who was in the temple. And everybody, the Bible says that Jesus watched and he saw what everybody gave. And everybody was making a big deal out of what he gave. But the person that he was pleased with and giving was, was this widow who gave, the Bible says, all that she had. Jesus commended her for giving. And I'm not telling you to give necessarily all that you have. If God calls you to do that, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> but I'm saying that we should be in tune with God. No matter what we have, we should give back to the Lord regularly and consistently. You know, say, well, I can't afford 10%. I can't afford to give a, a certain percentage. Well, I just want to encourage you just to do an inventory of what you have. Take a look at what you have in your possession and make sure that you are being a prudent planner and you're budgeting. Put together a budget. Itemize the things that you're spending regularly. Know your spending patterns, and I bet no matter who you are and where you are that you will find that you can give more than what you're giving. But it takes discipline. That discipline comes by seeing the grace of God. If your job was to force you to make 10% of what you make right now, you will find a way to make it. Hello. Amen, lights. Some in here are just genuinely struggling, and you're working hard, and you're struggling. I don't, I, what I want you to do is I want you to relax this morning. I mean, you're budgeting as well as you can. You're, you're, you're doing everything that you can to make everything stretch. I want you to just relax this morning and know that the Lord loves you. Know that the Lord is able to continue to provide for you. Come and talk to me. Talk to, and I'll point you to financial advisors and people who can help look at what you're receiving, but, but possibly help you get into another career. So you came in here, you said, Pastor, I'm already down in the dumps. I want to give. I have absolutely nothing to give, and I'm struggling. I'm trying my hardest. I'm working hard. I'm budgeting. I just want to tell you to relax. Come, call the office, and let's see what we can do and how we as the people of God can help you. Some of us, we're struggling, and we're managing poor. Generally, we just don't have it, but... But we're just poor managers and we aren't being prudent planners. I want to encourage you as you're struggling, as you're working hard to make money, as you're working hard to get out of debt, to make sure that another issue is not, the, is not your, your planning. It's not your planning. 
But some of us in here, we have been given more than enough. And the reason you're not giving is simply because you are managing God's property poorly. You are wasting God's possessions. And I want to call you as a Christian, I want to encourage you as a believer to search the scriptures and see if that pleases the Lord. Because under the new covenant, you will hear the Lord say, why are you robbing me? Why are you cheating me? It is said that 95% of Americans are richer uh, than, than most of the world. 95% of us. Most of us in here, probably 98% of us, is richer than, than most of the people in the world. We've got refrigerators. We've got multiple irons. We've got multiple TVs. Big TVs, too. I mean, you can see people sweating, snot. Got 15, 20 pair of shoes. Man, I'm telling you. Come to church, it's like we're going to the Grammys. Right? Got multiple. I'm talking about myself. And we're not content. And we think that getting more and having more is what's going to make us content. We think that it's going to give us joy, but it doesn't. Joy is found when we give our faith away and when we fulfill God's mission because we recognize that we have been saved by grace. Joy is found when we see people walking this aisle on a Sunday morning because they know that they are sinners and they're destitute and they need to be changed. And we see them come by faith and they get baptized and 10 years later, we see God transform their lives. Five years later, transform their lives. Two years later, transform their lives. That's where joy is found when we see changed lives. Just want us to check our priorities and be grace givers. Do inventory on what we have and say, Lord, you've given me your best. Can you help me to give? You my best. I want to be a part of a church that doesn't just have a transformed lives, but I want to be a part of a church that is transforming the community. Me and the other pastors, we, we don't have just a vision for us to come in this place and to rock out on Sundays and to, to go home. No, our vision is to be used by God to flip Newburgh upside down. Our vision is to, to buy out houses and homes, to fix them up, and to give them to, to Christians who are struggling financially at a, a lower cost, and to disciple those Christians so that they can impact their block and impact the hood. That's our vision. Our vision is to be able to take care of those who are widows and who are poor and who are struggling week to week, to be able to give freely to them. And to be able to love them. Our vision is to, to be able to 
pour into missionaries who are serving all over this world and to send out missionaries where they don't have to go through a mission organization, but where we ourselves can help them to reach the lost. Our vision is to impact the West End, the East End, the South End, and the North End with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that only happens if we allow the gospel to make us selfless, which it will do when we allow it to do what it does. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the gospel transform you and renew your mind. Bigger vision than going home, working hard, slaving, getting dressed up to look cute, allowing the big events of the year to be Christmas and Easter and birthdays. No, a bigger vision is us giving our whole self to Jesus Christ, us working hard, budgeting well, giving to the mission of God so that we, as a church, can impact this community. Buy property. See what the neighborhood needs. Start barbershops. Employ men in our church to own barbershops so that lost people who need Jesus can come into those barbershops and hear about Jesus. Hear about Jesus. Our vision is to be able to have more staff so that we can do more ministry take care of the staff that we do have. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, search our hearts this morning, search my heart, wherever we are right now financially. pray that you would lift any guilt off of us for you know that in you we're not condemned but that you would also challenge our hearts in a healthy way so that we will not be comfortable with where we are. 